Welcome to Girlish Gurus. I'm Joy. And I'm Susan. And we're here to have discussions about topics on many subjects that we hope are informative, uplifting, and fun. So let's get started. Let's. Hi, I'm Susan. And I'm Joy. Welcome to another episode of Girlish Gurus. What are we talking about today, Susan? Well, we're going to kind of have a casual conversation today, but we've, we have done a little research around this, and certainly we have real life experience Ooh. around this. Yes, yes. But we just really wanted to talk about women in the workplace. And Some issues facing The us. challenges mm-hmm. we face sometimes, perceived and actual, Right. Yes, which which is very interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that started this whole conversation was I started doing research on imposter syndrome and the prevalence of that and how that word, that buzzword, that buzz phrase uh, seems to have come up over the last five to ten years, I would say. So I, of course, thought, oh, that's just I'm not saying it isn't valid because I think it is. But it's like a new buzzword, buzz phrase that mm-hmm. came up in the corporate world for especially women, but it isn't isolated to women, right? Who feel like imposters in the in their field. Now, before we kind of dive into this, let me ask you: Did you ever feel like an imposter at work? Absolutely, really, without hesitation. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have to say. So did I. And I was a trained and licensed attorney. Exactly. And I think this is the point of it from all the reading that I did around this subject. The big thing was that more people feel this way than we could even possibly know. Right. And part of the issue with this syndrome is that people don't talk about it because they feel like they're the only ones feeling that way and that, oh, my gosh, somebody's going to find me out. Right. They're going to figure out, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm flying by the seat of my pants, and I'm just trying to do my best to keep up. Right. Because that's a lot of what it is. Well, just speaking from my own personal experience, I agree with that. I remember my first few hesitant experiences in court representing someone Mm -hmm. and thinking to myself, what in the world am I doing here? (laughs) Exactly. Right. And I felt that way each time I took a new job. Right. I, you know, and not like I had a ton of them over the years, but I can remember when I m- made the decision to move to Chicago, and this was like a big deal. After I got there, I thought, what did I just do? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can do this. I don't have statistics on this, but the interesting facts are that women tend to do that more than men, and women are less likely to apply for jobs than men when they only meet a percentage of the requirements for the job. So like if a job's out there and you've got a woman candidate and a man candidate, the man's more likely to apply for it even if he only meets like 60% of the requirements listed in the job description, where a woman is only going to apply if she like meets 90%. And those numbers aren't exact, but it's close. It's close to that. Mm And so there's That's astounding. In, therein lies the difference, right? There's a, there's a certain bravado, and there's a lot of factors at play in this, including we've talked about this at length. You and I personally, how we're socially conditioned, absolutely right. So to yeah. think that we're not enough, 
Right. Well, we aren't smart enough. We mm-hmm. we and we need to have all these things if we're going to be able to do this job. Men just are brought up to think, socialized to think, well, I might as well give it a try, why not? Where women are, I think, raised to think, well, if I'm not sure, I better not do it. Right. Don't take the risk. Mm-hmm. Where the men will take the risk. Mm-hmm. We tend to be... Well, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> yes. We tend to be more conservative and cautious. Risk averse. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So you and I have both definitely experienced this. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I know you've done a lot of research about this, getting ready to talk about it. I don't have a ton of numbers in front of me, but I do have a study that KPMG did because they are a very strong supporter of women in the workplace. And they have meetings regularly with women executives and their client companies can send their executive women to these meetings that are focused on women in the workplace. And so they did a huge study and it was, I think, only last year that it was published. And I'm just going to read something from it. It just says KPMG has a long-standing commitment to the advancement, development, empowerment of women, which extends beyond our organization and into the broader marketplace. It's important for organizations to gain a more thorough understanding of the specific issues a woman may face as they advance in their careers and as they move toward the C-suite. We hope the thought-provoking findings and solutions in this study help leaders everywhere as we work to further advance inclusion and diversity. So while this is typically focused on women, it affects other minorities as well in the workplace. I think all of this falls under the category of equality. Of course it does. And inclusion. Yes. Yes. In the Mm -hmm. workplace, which still isn't where it needs to be. And all (laughs) the numbers and statistics bear Mm -hmm. that out. Mm -hmm. You just have to look. How many cents on the dollar does a woman earn? How many cents on the dollar does a woman of color earn? All those. How many women are represented Mm -hmm. in C-suite positions, how many women are on boards, how, how many, many minorities right. are mm-hmm. on boards, how many minorities are on C-level positions. It's, it's we can all, keep going. It's all related. Congress, the government, I'm just saying. <laughs> so here are the key findings from this particular study. 75% of executive women report having personally experienced imposter syndrome at certain points in their career. Wow. 75%. 85% believe imposter syndrome is commonly experienced by women in corporate America. Wow. 74% of executive women believe that their male counterparts do not experience feelings of self-doubt as much as female leaders do. Mm-hmm. I would concur yeah, with that. me too. 81% believe they put more pressure on themselves not to fail than men do. I absolutely oh, agree yes. with 100%. that. 100%, yes. Absolutely. Which means we f- always feel like we have to work harder to get the same recognition, whether it's financial or otherwise, mm-hmm. yep, in the workplace. Yes. So it's just interesting <laughs> to me. Those numbers are high. Oh, yeah. High. <sighs> <laughs> so I'll read a few more of these statistics from this report because I just thought it was very interesting. Some of the additional findings Nearly half of executive women say that their feelings of self-doubt result from never expecting to reach the level of success they have achieved. Mm -hmm. That would be me, for sure. 
When asked which dynamics within the workplace were most valuable to help reduce feelings of imposter syndrome, 47% said having a supportive performance manager and 29% said feeling valued and being rewarded fairly. So this gets back to everything we just said. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And your manager doesn't have to be another female. If there's a man who is in the workplace but who has the emotional intelligence Uh, to recognize these things and when a woman who works for them is experiencing them, they can help. Mm -hmm. And they should be. Mm -hmm. But anyway, (laughs) that's my opinion, of course. Mm. Due to a variety of external factors, 56% have been afraid that they won't live up to expectations or that people around them will not believe they are as capable as expected. You're talking 50, 56% of women in the in the workplace. Yes. Okay. Yes. Mm. Over mm-hmm. half, right? Mm-hmm. To overcome imposter syndrome, 72% of executive women looked to the advice of a mentor or trusted advisor when doubting their abilities to take on new roles. And I would say that I did that Mm -hmm. for sure. Absolutely. 54% of executive women agreed that the more successful they became, the lonelier it gets at the top because they enter new peer groups. Mm -hmm. However, 32% of women identified with imposter syndrome because they did not know others in a similar place to them, either personally or professionally. Mm. So... I had that experience in one of my jobs where I was the only female executive. And it is weird. And it's hard. Well, I've been in many situations where I was the only female attorney. Yeah. that's was just par for the course mm-hmm. when I was getting started. Well, and obviously in the area where I worked, which was insurance, it has historically been male-dominated. Mm-hmm. And, and, the fee- and, and, and still is. And the field of law mm-hmm. still is. So then you get to that point where you see that this then thinking about that, that a woman may be the only one or one of a few in a room full of male counterparts. And you start to understand then how these social pressures that we've grown up with of how women are supposed to be mm-hmm. start to come into play, right? Mm-hmm. And we then don't necessarily use our voice. Right. Because we're afraid to be looked at as not smart enough, mm-hmm. causing problems. We're afraid we won't be liked. All these other issues that come up. I think society, whether we realize it or not, imparts on us these things through everything we see Mm -hmm. tv magazines whatever you want to pick right so when i was doing the research on the imposter syndrome i did find where this all started so i just want to touch on that briefly i'm not going to spend a ton of time on it but it actually came up in a study done at the georgia state university in 1978 wow Back then, it was called imposter phenomenon. I was six. <laughs> I was, I think I was 15, right? Hmm. So these two women professors, Dr. Pauline Rose Clance and Dr. Suzanne Imes, did this study on female students, undergrad, PhD students, 
female professors, female professionals, female executives, which back then there probably weren't oh, yeah. hardly any, right? And they studied this imposter phenomenon within these women. Several of these women were in therapy because of this very issue or were in study groups uh, trying to enhance their abilities in the workplace. And this is how they found these women. And this all, all this stuff came up. But it's surprising to me that this was discovered so long ago and has been sitting there brewing. And yet it really came to my attention as being a thing, like we said. Six, seven, eight years ago. Exactly. Maybe. Mm. So which tells me, sadly, we've not made much progress. Well, that's not a surprise. No, it isn't. But it's, it's sad. It's, it is sad. <laughs> yeah. Still, nonetheless, in addition to all of this, one of the interesting things that I watched was an interview that Maria Shriver did with the woman that started the Omega Institute up in New York. Her name is Elizabeth Lesser, and she's written several books and she teaches classes up there. And if if any of you have not heard of the Omega Institute, look it up. It's a fascinating place. Mm -hmm. You can go up there and take classes. You can stay there on campus. They have week-long ones. They have weekend ones. Just really cool stuff that they do up there. But anyway, she wrote this book called Cassandra Speaks, and it's based on Cassandra in Greek mythology and how her voice was... The word that pops into my head is squelched. Yes. So... (laughs) She, because she silence yeah because she did not accept apollo's advance sexual advances he gave her the gift of being able to see things to see the future but then took away her ability to tell anybody about it so boy that gives me goosebumps because i just think about how hard it has always been for me to find my voice mm. and not be afraid to speak up for fear of not sounding smart mm-hmm. or just... Or recrimination in some way. Or yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. right? Just so often I have not spoken up. Well, I was told a couple of times that I wouldn't progress because I was too plain spoken. <laughs> so... You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. <laughs> exactly. And we all know the those stories of, well, if a man said this in the middle of a meeting, he'd be looked at as being assertive and a go-getter. And if a woman said the exact same thing, she'd be looked at as being aggressive or a bitch, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. It is the truth. And to me, that's so sad. It is very, very sad. It's such a double standard. I think that the result is we lose out on so much good input. Exactly. From women. And I just have to say, women get things done. We find ways we are resourceful Mm -hmm. and capable Mm -hmm. and we bring so much to the table. And I think slowly, I hope slowly things are changing, but I think it's just we're way behind the times. Well, and that's what this interview, 
I found so fascinating about it. They talked about how it's so important for women to not be afraid to speak up because what we have to offer is what is needed right now. Mm-hmm. Because let's face it, men have not done the best job. <laughs> Right? Of leading. Susan, my 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 <laughs> traditional self here is feeling a little uncomfortable. <laughs> but but how, you're not wrong. <laughs> so their point was how women lead is so important and is so needed right now. Mm-hmm. And men can learn from it. Absolutely. Because this gets back to that emotional intelligence. Women lead with their, not only their mind, but their heart Mm -hmm. and their caring and their love. And sadly, most men do not, right? And there's a time and place for that. Yes. But there's also a time and place for a more empathetic leader. Right. And you actually, you need a balance. You need a balance of both. Exactly. Right? And that's, I think, what we as women and women in the workplace who are leaders and even who aren't considered leaders can bring if we allow them, if we allow them to do that, right? But we grew up, they talked about this, we grew up in this cloak of shame, Self-doubt, imposter syndrome, however, whatever you want to call it, it goes all the way back to Eve, she talks about it, which is true. The story of Eve, right? Everything's our fault. I can't disagree with that. <laughs> so, anyway, I think all of this connects in some way, right, with how we as women, whether in the workplace or in life in general have a responsibility to step up and lead from our best place, which mm-hmm. is that a place of love, compassion, empathy, caring. And you can still do that and have boundaries and have a backbone. Oof. And that's the best of both worlds in my mind. So this research that you've done, mm-hmm. does it give any kind of suggestions about how you can step forward and set aside your feelings of inadequacy and pursue whatever goal it is you're trying to achieve as a woman in the, today's workplace? Well, I think one of the things that they did talk about was that you can't be afraid to admit to yourself or maybe to a confidant, someone you trust, that you're having these feelings. Don't be afraid to say, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm really feeling like a fraud right now. How do I get over this? And a friend that you trust is going to build you up, help you to see why you should not feel that way help you to look at the accomplishments in your life, what you've achieved, and make you see that someone who's an imposter wouldn't have done all this, right? Mm -hmm. So that's important. I think, too, understanding that other people are experiencing this. And if you can have conversations with other women about how you're feeling and you aren't self-conscious about it, you're going to find out they're all feeling the same way. Oh, sure. Right? 
And then really, you just have to move past it somehow, learn to move past it and realize that a lot of these feelings might just be situational. Is it something new? that that's what's causing you to feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, anybody's going to feel that way in that situation. That's just, that's not just you. Mm -hmm. And that's part of growing Mm -hmm. and learning something new. So when you're faced with something new that you have to achieve or overcome, that's just part of growing. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're going to feel uncomfortable. And that's okay. That's not you being an imposter. That's just normal. Those are normal feelings to have. So those were some of the things that came up. And certainly, I'm sure there are more and more studies being done all the time that are going to provide help around how we move past this. You know, but therapy, too. Mm -hmm. Talking to a therapist or getting into a, a group of people who may be experiencing this could also help, I'm sure. Supportive peer groups. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And also just having a conversation about it, which is one of the reasons why I feel like this episode is important. We're having a conversation about it and we're putting it out there. And you and I are, while we're not in the same age group, mm-hmm. we've both experienced it. I'm over 50. So we've both experienced quite a bit of it. Yep. And we're out here saying, yes, us too. I mean, raise your hand if you haven't experienced it as a woman. And we're putting it out there and saying it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to say, look, I I just need a moment of support here. Right. And you also have to own your stuff. Like if there is stuff that, you know, you need to face that you're not either capable of or doing well. You need to admit that, too. Mm -hmm. So as Elizabeth Lesser put it, own your shit, right? (laughs) Yes. You you do need to do that. And she did say something else that I thought was really good. One of the things they talked about was how we have to redefine what a courageous person looks like. And I loved that. Mm -hmm. Because, again, this is what's been taught to us these are old beliefs this is what's embedded in us right Mm -hmm. my idea of what a courageous person is is not probably what it was 10 years ago for sure for sure and so i think that's a profound statement the older i get the more i see how misguided i was in my younger days (laughs) right so they talked about how love and connectivity and belonging are actually power and courage. But that carries with it vulnerability. It has to. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Brene Brown. Thank you, Brene Brown. Yes. Yes. And don't be afraid because that's different than what you see somebody else doing. Don't be afraid to do it. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Right. You know, because this is what mainstream is teaching us we Mm -hmm. need to do. And I... I tried to do that. I tried to, especially the longer I was in my career, I took my own approach to leading that probably was very different than my peers and especially my male peers. And I didn't really care because I was trying to find a way that was going to work for me and for the people that worked with me Mm -hmm. and how I could encourage them and promote them and get the best work from them and help them to feel confident in what they were doing. 
because I felt like that was my job. Yeah. So, well. Powerful stuff. It's powerful stuff. So this was one of my favorite lines from this interview. Elizabeth said when her sister sadly died of cancer and she was going through her things, her sister was a nurse. And so, you know, one of the philosophies around any medical professional is to do no harm. It's part of the oath that they take, right? Oath. Yep. So she found this pillow and she said, I just love it. And I have embraced the little motto on the pillow and I thought it was great. So I wanted to share it. Do no harm, but take no shit. And that kind of says it all. It does. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love an embroidered pillow. <laughs> I mean, you know? <laughs> Be kind, but stand up for yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? Be kind, but have boundaries. Yeah. So. I love that. Those are wise words. Those are very wise words. Yeah. Well, there was another article I read. It was kind of an interview. It was in the Harvard Business Review. And the interviewee was... Jody Ann Burry. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. It's B-U-R-E-Y. And she was being interviewed by Christine Liu about stop telling women they have imposter syndrome. And this is the one where I got the information that it's not really imposter syndrome much of the time. It's a systemic issue of mm-hmm. inequality in the workplace, which I don't disagree with, except for the fact that I can have that feeling of imposter syndrome when I'm not at work. Mm. right Mm -hmm. yes so there's where i personally kind of disagree with that yes i can see how it has become a buzzword for really systemic inequality in the workplace because i think it it has Mm -hmm. but i also think it's real oh for sure outside of the workplace yes Yes. so when if it's happening for you as a student or you know before you're in the workforce then it's more than just But that. I think that goes back to what we've talked about before, social conditioning. Right. Boy, this is such a big topic. It's just so packed full of all kinds of issues that obviously we're not going to solve in a 30-minute podcast episode. Right. But what I, I guess the biggest surprise to me was that these topics are still having to be discussed because a lot of these articles I read outside of the original study, which... So this study was done 45 years ago, 45 years ago, and we're still having to talk about this. That, to me, is very sad. It's very, very sad. Because the rest of these articles and interviews that I read and listened to are from within the last couple of years. Mm Mm-hmm. We we still have so far to go. Oh, for sure. Still so far to go. For sure. In so many areas of society, we need to make some progress. We do. Yep. Yeah. We all have to do our part. We do. We do. And I think part of it is we have to look around and when we see someone who's obviously struggling, because you know, you and I both, we know, mm-hmm. we can look and see mm-hmm. when someone's obviously struggling. Right. If it's possible in that moment when you see someone struggling, if you can reach out a hand and even just give a kind word. Or lend an ear. Offer. Right. They, they may not accept, but offer right. to listen, mm-hmm. right? 
Yeah, I mean, I try to do that when I when there are young people that I see struggling with things like this because you know if we can impart anything that we've learned along the way, we should be. Mm-hmm. Even just saying, "Hey, let's get a cup of coffee." That's right. Let's talk about whatever you need to talk about. Right. Just for a f- ten or fifteen, twenty minutes, and that can be an enormous help. And I think it's probably harder now than it used to be. I mean, when I was working in an office every day, I tried to have an open door for anybody, not just the people that worked for me, but anybody that worked in the company, because I felt that I felt responsible and I wanted to help. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a leader in in the organization, and I wanted anybody who was having issues to feel comfortable enough to come in and say, hey, do you have a minute to talk? And they they felt they could do that, come in, shut the door, and have a private conversation. Right. And I made the time because I knew it was important because I knew if I were in their shoes, that's what I would want. Right. I think it's harder now given the workspace situation, everybody working virtually. I am sure there are a lot of more people struggling Mm. Because they don't have someone they feel they can go talk to, and it's not going to be as evident or as easy to do. You're going to have to make an effort if you want to have that conversation. So it's up to those people who have more experience or older to try to recognize those signs. Right. And pay attention. And then, like you said, reach out. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's unlikely that the person's struggling well. Right. Right. Yeah. Because when you're up to your eyeballs and alligators. <laughs> right. I've heard that saying before many times. You right. forget the main priority is to drain the swamp. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yes. Well, what a conversation. Yeah. Deep. Deep thoughts. Very deep thoughts. <laughs> and I'm sure these are things that we will continue to talk about. Oh, yeah. And there's more to be said there's always s- new things mm-hmm. coming up around all of this there's so. always more to be said on the subject yes right and my big takeaway from today is if you can reach out to help somebody try to do it absolutely and let's keep talking about it be supportive help one another keep talking do yep. no harm take no shit that's right <laughs> <laughs> i think that says it all we'll put some links in the notes to some of these articles read some of the interviews looked at you you really should go take a look at a few of them especially the one with maria shriver and elizabeth lesser that was i got a lot out of that there was a lot of great information in an hour interview so be sure and take a look at that wonderful all right everyone thanks again for joining us thanks we'll see you next time Bye 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 Thanks for joining us on another episode of Girlish Gurus. We hope you'll join us next time for another fun and interesting topic. And please be sure to check the notes for information and links that were included in this discussion today. Also, don't forget you can find us on our social media platforms, starting with Instagram, Facebook, and now including YouTube. You can find us by searching Girlish Gurus. And please remember to give this episode a good review and share it with your girlfriends because the more interaction we get with our podcast episodes, the more episodes we can post. Finally, you can find us on our website, girlishgurus.com. Thanks again. See you next time. Bye.